Last week, we, we began a four-week sermon series in, in which we're going to be focusing on the concept of work and how work is spoken of in the Bible. And, and because last week really set the foundation for a lot of what we're going to be talking about these next three weeks, I want to give just a quick recap of what we talked about last week in case you weren't here and, or we've slept since then, you know, so it's good to be reminded. But uh, one of the things I highlighted last week was that, that when the Bible refers to a, uh, a person's vocation or calling, it's not limiting itself to a person's occupation. And in fact, when the Bible refers to our calling, it's almost always talking about our discipleship. Our vocation is understood to be that of a follower of Jesus. Now, now of course, as we talked about last week and we will continue to talk about, our occupation is a part of our vocation in significant ways. But our primary calling as Christians is to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. And so because of that, when we talk about work, yeah, it, it includes our occupation, but we also rightly understand our work to include our roles as church members, as citizens, neighbors, students, children, parents, spouses, all of those things. So our work isn't limited to an eight-hour day, Monday through Friday, but every moment of our lives during which we are called to live out our vocation as followers of Jesus. So we talked about that last week, and then we also talked about three aspects of work that, that are revealed to us in the Bible. And, and the first one is that work is God-given. The mandate God gave to mankind back in Genesis 1, was fill the earth and subdue it, exercise dominion over it. That predates sin. So that means work is not the result of sin. We can't say that we have to work because we are in a sinful world. We're called to work because God called us to work, even before sin, even in a perfect Eden. And I believe even in the future perfect new earth, Work is a part of our existence. So we are blessed, in a way, to be able to, to live out the image of God placed upon us through our work. So it predates sin. Second, even though work predates sin and it's not the result of sin, work is sin-marred. It, it is affected by sin greatly. Uh, the curse spoken over Adam and Eve in response to their sin stated that both the filling of the earth and the subduing of the earth would be met with difficulty. There would be pain involved in that. But again, the mandate to work wasn't, wasn't created then because of sin, and it wasn't negated because of sin. It remained. It's just affected. It's marred by sin now. And then third, work is discipleship-focused. Because we are God's people who are redeemed from our sin and transformed by the work of Jesus on the cross, how we work is part of our discipleship journey. It's part of our vocation as being a, a disciple of Jesus. The, the character, the nature of God 
is to be proclaimed to the world through our work. Our work isn't done solely for temporal benefit, but for the glory of God. So that was last week. That's, that's the foundation we, we talked about last week. And, and as I ended there talking about doing our work to the glory of God, that leads us right into our discussion for today. Last week, we, we really talked about why we should work, and today we're going to get into the how, how we should work. Now, the first thing that, that we're going to talk about regarding how we should work is our work ethic. You can, you can see that in the uh, sermon notes in the first point, how we should work is, is work ethic. We saw in Colossians chapter uh, 3 last Sunday that Paul told those who were serving others that they ought to do their work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. As for the Lord, not for men. The, the foundation of, of every Christian's work ethic ought to be God. And, and because God is eternal, then that means that, that we have an eternal perspective to our work. The work that we do in this life must be done for the glory of God and, and for the pleasure of our God. So when we come to the conclusion of each day, we want to be able to look back upon the work we did and see that we did it to God, that we honored God in, in all that we did. It's, it's God we are serving, and it's then God who will reward us for uh, work done to his glory. Uh, we, we read about that in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus states that we ought to store up treasure in heaven rather than on earth. That's not just a money statement. That, that, that's a work statement as well. The things we do ought to be done with an eye toward eternity. We ought to ask ourselves, how, how can my work today impact eternity? What's the, inter, the eternal outcome of, of my work today? The, now, now, the things that we do of earthly value aren't necessarily bad. I'm not saying that, that, that earthly value is, is bad in and of itself, but but we have to recognize that things of earthly value can be destroyed and taken away at any moment. I mean, that's just the case. That's the nature of it. But things that we do of eternal value will not be taken away. They, they will endure forever. That's why they have eternal value. So as we do our work, we want to make sure that we have that eternal perspective in the things that we're doing. So we have that work ethic focused on eternity, but, but a Christian also ought to have a work ethic that is diligent. Um, the book of Proverbs is, is, uh, it just has such great wisdom in this area. Um, I, I would encourage you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, that's a, a place where it especially talks about this diligence. So in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, it, it says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. 
like it, and want like an armed man. Now that word sluggard, you know, we, we don't, I don't often use that word today. I don't hear it a lot today, so I assume that's true for most of us. Um, but it, it references a person who is lazy. And, and as, as I was reading in the New Living Translation, the, the word they used there is lazy bones. I thought, man, that's a boy that nails it. Lazy bones. The, what the writer of Proverbs is doing is drawing our attention to the ant. He says the ant doesn't have anyone that rules over it. There's no one forcing it to work, no one giving it directions on what to do. And yet, the ant is diligent in doing the work that needs to be done. And he's saying to that sluggard, that lazy bones, like, look at the ant. You know, like the, the, that person ought to feel something when they look at the ant and see the ant working in a way that, that they don't. So there's, there's people, and, and in this instance, sluggards, who've been, been given a mandate to work from the almighty God, yet they do little work and are put to shame by a tiny ant. And, and Proverbs goes on, talks other places. The, the, the sluggard is portrayed in uh, chapter 26, verse 15, as someone who is so lazy that he puts his hand into the dish but can't bring himself to exert the effort to remove it and lift it to his mouth. I mean, I, I, can you picture, give a better picture of laziness than that? Like, no. It's just like, man, I mean, human beings especially those who are followers of Jesus, are not to be characterized by such laziness. We are not called to that. Now, this proverb can be taken to unhealthy levels. Right? A, a person who doesn't adequately sleep and rest due to overwork can be just as dishonoring to God as the one who doesn't work due to oversleep. And we'll, we'll get into rest more next week. But the point of this passage in Proverbs is that human beings who have a God-given mandate to work ought to be doing just that. And again, it includes occupation, right? But it encompasses all of life. So, for example, working diligently ought to show itself in our relationships. Would we say our relationships are defined by diligent work? It ought to show itself in how we serve others. It ought to show itself in, in our times of prayer with God. Would we say that we are diligent in that work? We're, we're called to be people who are diligent, not lazy, not lazy bones in, in all the things that we do. So that's part of a work ethic that ought to define a believer. And then finally this morning, we talk about our work ethic. We must do our work with the utmost integrity. And, and a, a prime example of this is seen in Acts chapter 5. That's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. If you remember, they were a husband and wife who sold a field and then gave a portion of the proceeds from that sale to the church. But the problem was they lied about how much money they received uh, in, in order to present themselves as more generous than they really were. So when Peter confronted them individually, he, he told each of them that they had lied to God in the midst of their financial sacrifice, and they both fell over dead. So if we think that the final product is all that matters to God, we are gravely mistaken. Ananias and Sapphira sold a field and gave money to God. That's a good final product. 
but our integrity in our work is meant to be a reflection of our God as much as the product of our work. Both are important, but, but we can't push integrity to the side. And again, Proverbs speaks to this principle as well. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, says that a false balance is an, admonition, uh, is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So, so throughout history, scales were an important tool used to measure out quantities, right? And, and, but in order to accurately measure quantities, you, you needed accurate scales and weights, the older kind, right, that would, that would go like this, for example. You needed, you needed accurate weights on one side in order to have a, an honest outcome on the other side. So, so a person could cheat someone by putting a one-pound weight over here that really only weighed 14 ounces, and then whatever you measured out on this side would be less. Right? Now, in, in, in so doing, they could cheat someone out of two ounces of product, and the final result would be more profit for the seller, right? but, but in God's eyes, that's an abomination. And an abomination is something that is, is disgusting. It's, it's wicked. It is to be abhorred, and that's how it's described by God. And here's, here's, what, uh, here's what God commanded of his people in Leviticus chapter 19. He called his people to this. He said, You shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. I am the Lord your God. And he's talking about some of the units of measurement there. His, his people were to be just, honest in, in what they put on those scales. They were to use just weights, just balances, even if it meant less profit for them. By working with integrity, they would reflect the character of their God who, oh, by the way, is a just God. So by using just weights, we reflect a just God. So again, how we do things as followers of Jesus matters. And that's true in our nine-to-five job or eight-to-five job, but it, it's true in any other area of life. So if, if you or I can look back on this past week and see areas where we acted dishonestly and, and without integrity in our work, we must not turn a blind eye to that. We can't. Uh, cheating on a test, uh, manipulating the time clock at work, overestimating our deductions on taxes. We're getting into that season, right? Things like that have no place among followers of Jesus. God says that type of thing is an abomination. It, it, it fails to reflect the God of truth whom we serve and whose image we are to reflect in our work. So, so a work ethic promoted by the Bible might not lead us to be the most successful by worldly standards or to work harder and longer than anyone else, but it is one that's focused rightly on eternity and it's marked by diligence and integrity. And if we will do our work in those ways, then we are well on our way to doing what Colossians 3 calls us to do, to working for the Lord in all that we do.
So that's some of how we ought to work when we think about work ethic. I, I wanted to talk about another aspect of work that's highlighted by the Bible, and, um, and you don't find this term in the Bible, but, but what I'm calling it is relational productivity. So in Matthew chapter 25, we get one story where, where Jesus tells uh, the parable of the talents. And, and that's the story where the man gave three of his servants differing amounts of money to steward while he was gone on a trip. Uh, two of the servants took the money, put it to work, and doubled uh, what they had in the time that the man was away. The third servant was scared to lose the money. Or perhaps maybe his fear was just a cover for his laziness. I don't know. I mean, we're not told, but maybe he's not really scared and he's just lazy and wants to cover. But either way, he buries the money in the ground for safekeeping. The man returns from his journey and he praises the two servants who worked in such a way that they doubled their money. And the man who buried the money, however, had his portion taken away from him and, and was cast out of his master's household. So we read that story, and I think we can rightly discern that we ought to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us. We've been given tasks, and how we, how we carry out those tasks ought to provide results, which are honoring to God. You might say that we are expected to be productive in utilizing what God has given to us. Well, at the same time, we see another story in the Gospels in Luke chapter 10. And in that story, Jesus comes to the house of Martha and Mary. And upon his arrival, Martha takes the talents and the resources that she's been given and puts them to work meeting the physical needs of Jesus. You might say that she's being very productive with what God has entrusted to her. And yet, it's Mary in the story, who's quietly sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching, who is praised by Jesus. She sacrificed, Mary sacrificed physical productivity in order to invest in her relationship with Jesus. Those are two very different stories when you think about it, right? With the talents and, and uh, the parable of the talents and then the story with Mary and Martha. What do we do with those two? Because it might seem like they are encouraging two different goals in our work. I mean, how can we praise the, 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 the productivity in the other, but then praise the, the relationship in, in the second? And, and what I believe the Bible as a whole shows us is that followers of Jesus ought to care about the productive results of our work, but in balance with relationships, relationships with God, relationships with uh, other people. And, and that's why I've termed it relational productivity. Hopefully it captures both sides of that. And, and I think we, we get a great picture of this balanced work in Deuteronomy chapter 24. I, I would encourage you to, to turn there with me. Just, it, it shows it so well. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, starting in verse 19. And again, this is God speaking to his people. He says, when you reap your harvest in your field, now that's a productivity statement, right? There's work that needs to be done. There's a crop. It's ready for harvest. We got to get it in. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. So God's essentially saying, don't be quiet as 
physically productive as you could be. Why would he say that? He says, It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And he gives another example. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So, I mean, we see in the passage, God's concerned with physical productivity. The, the harvest of, of the wheat, the grapes, the olives, they do need to be gathered in. And yet, maximizing the profits to the highest degree possible wasn't to be the end goal for God's people. The sheaves of wheat that were missed, the, the olives and the grapes that, that were passed over the first time, the, those profits were to be released so that those who were oppressed and afflicted might benefit. I think you can say the Jewish farmer's relationship with those in need had a place of importance along with the profits from the harvest. I mean, isn't that such a great picture, how God weaves those things together? And, and you know, as I was thinking about that in, in my own life, there, there was a picture that, um, that came to me, a place that I can struggle with relational productivity. And I imagine I'm not the only parent that, uh, that has dealt with this. Um, as, as children grow and mature, they're naturally interested in the tasks in which their parents are performing, right? Um, but at times it's not just interested, it's wanting to be involved and participate, right? That phrase, dad, can I help? Now, it's not always that. Sometimes it can be like pulling teeth to get to help, right? But sometimes it's, dad, can I help? Can I help you in what you're doing? When I hear that phrase, I've got a choice to make, Will I focus strictly upon the final product or will I strive for relational productivity in that moment? Not only teaching my children skills as they help me, but, but also deepening relationship together as we perform a task together. Um, now, will the final physical product be as high of quality if I pursue relational productivity in that instance? Probably not, right? Will it get done as quickly and efficiently? Probably not. But I got to thinking, couldn't, couldn't Jesus say the same thing about anything that he entrusts to my care? <laughs> right? I mean, if Jesus himself stood in the pulpit today and preached, wouldn't his sermon be a better final product? And not probably. Yeah, yeah, it would. <laughs> it would. I'll say it. It would. And yet... Jesus leans into relational productivity by inviting me to preach the sermon. The, the proclamation of God's word needs to be done. That, that result is important. But God has, has chosen to bring me into this task, and he, and he does so in such a way that, that my relationship with him grows. As I, as I study, as I pray, as I prepare as I preach, and, and, and that's just an example, you know, obviously unique to me, but God cares for all of us, and he invests in his relationship with us by pursuing relational productivity with us. Our, our well-being and growth in our relationship with him holds a, a place of importance, and, and I believe we're called to emulate that in the work that we do. So, uh, 
that we can ask ourselves the question, what, what might relational productivity look like in my life, in your life, as it pertains to the work that we do? What, what might that look like in our occupation? What might it look like in our serving? What might it look like in our, in our marriage or in our parenting? Uh, what might it look like in our neighboring? I mean, any area where we're tempted to focus solely on the, the physical results, what might relational productivity look like? And, and I think a, a good exercise over the, the coming week is look at the work we're doing and consider, ask the question, what, what would it look like? What would it look like to be relationally productive here? And, it, and we might ask that question, maybe especially at, at work, at our occupation, and say, ooh, boy, there might be a risk in pursuing relational productivity. My, my, uh, my boss, my supervisor, may, might not appreciate that type of, uh, of an attitude. Uh, I would encourage you, I mean, be wise about it, follow God's leading in it, but, but give it a try, trust him. See what might happen when we pursue that type of productivity. See how God might bless that type of work being done. So work ethic is part of it. Uh, relational productivity is, is, is part of it, how we work. And the final aspect this morning is, is what I've termed saying yes and no. You know, we've spent our time talking about work in general, how the Bible generally leads us to work as followers of Jesus, but what does it tell us regarding which work we ought to perform in those ways, especially as individuals or as, as a group of people? You know, the general mandate given to Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it is a big one, right? That is a big task. That's part of why I think it was given to all mankind, not just Adam and Eve. You know, we are right around the 8 billion mark in terms of world population. Some would say we've crossed it. Some would say it's coming real soon, but right around 8 billion. But even with so many people, the world's not yet filled and creation is not yet subdued. So when it comes to my individual place in this mandate, how do I know what specific work I ought to do? Or, or am I responsible for every aspect of that mandate? Am I responsible for all of it? Or, or am I given a, a smaller, more particular role to play in it? You know, when it comes to the church, we see in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that we read earlier, not every person is, is expected to perform every task. Paul compares the church to, to the human body in that passage says there's different parts created and designed for specific tasks. The body functions best when each part is doing its own work. And, and, and Paul goes on to say it, 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 that's the way God designed the church to work. It's not just an accident that we stumbled into. God designed it that way. He created people and knit them together in such a way that the church body thrives when each person works as God has created them to do. I think we see that principle in Acts chapter 6 as well, where you've got the apostles whom God have appointed to, to the areas of prayer and the ministry of the word, 
They appoint seven individuals to oversee the also important and necessary task of caring for the widows of the church. When the apostles stopped trying to do everything and instead focused on what the Lord called them to do specifically, the, the gospel continued to spread throughout Jerusalem at that point. And, and I think what is, what is true in the church is, is also true regarding our work in the larger world, our work outside of the church. There's much work to be done, but we aren't called by God as individuals to perform every bit of that work ourselves. And, and, and again, I probably sound like a broken record at this point, but it applies to our occupation. But every area of work in our vocation as disciples of Jesus so, if I can talk to the students for a second. Students, you're in a season of life where you're discovering the ways in which God has created you. You're uncovering the areas in which God has given you more natural giftings and interests. Use this time to discover those things. Try new things. Engage in new areas in such a way that... that you find that out. Oh man, God has really wired me this way, or boy, I tried that, and whew, that's just that's just not not me. Now, now, yeah, in terms of thinking about an occupation, that's part of it. But but in terms of serving in the church, hobbies you explore, everyday tasks you perform, you're fearfully and wonderfully made to play a role in the larger task given to mankind to fill the earth and subdue it. So I would say students lean into that, discover those things, follow God's leading in it. And in adults too, I mean, it's not just students, us as adults. Now I, I know there's times, uh, adults, where, where the things that we do feel more out of necessity than gifting. Uh, but we too must consider if the work we do flows out of how God has created us. Right? Does my current job, if we think about occupation, does my current job align with how I'm fearfully and wonderfully made? I realize that, man, there's, there's times where a job is held largely to earn a paycheck in order to meet individual and, and family needs. And I'm not speaking out against that in any way. There's, there's, there's honor in that, for sure. There's honor in holding a job, which maybe isn't ideal for me so that I can serve others and, and, and provide in that way. But if the fit isn't good, I think we ought to pray to God for that, for that guidance and provision, praying that, that he would lead us to, to an occupation or a job more in line with how he has created us. And again, we broaden our view beyond occupation. Do I have a talent or, or a gifting that I'm holding to myself and I'm not using to benefit my, my family or, or my church or my neighbors or, or, or my world in general? I mean, that, that would be, if we go back to Paul's body analogy, that, that would be like the nose refusing to recognize scent. I mean, the whole body suffers as a result of that wasted gifting. And, you know, I think as, as I was kind of reflecting on social media in this area, I just want to highlight one detriment to social media. 
it is, it is filled with people showcasing what they are doing and how they are doing it. It's kind of just the point of a lot of social media. Here's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm doing it. So, I mean, there's, there's parenting tasks, um, celebrating holidays or milestones, going on vacation, engaging in politics, cooking food, responding to difficulty. I mean, I, I mean, there's all kinds of things on social media. Here's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm doing it. And I don't think it's wrong to post, you know, about those things. And I don't even think it's wrong to pick up tips and tricks like, oh, they do it that way. That's, I mean, there's stuff around the house. I saw somebody did something like that's great. That's a much better way to do it. But, but in general, once we, once we start comparing ourselves and trying to do what they are doing in the exact way that they are doing it, we miss out on the work that God has for us to do in the way in which he created us to do it. Social media just, it, it doesn't lend itself to that easily. We really have to work to not compare ourselves and, and, and feel like we must conform to what we see from others. I would say social media has a tendency to lead hands and feet and eyes and tongues to want to be just like the ear who's continually posting that they have perfect pitch, right? I mean, that's what it does. You know, it, it can lead us to confuse what we should be saying yes and no to. We're God's workmanship. We're, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now that applies to mankind in general, but, but that applies to each of us as individuals who are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. And so our, our yeses and our nos ought to flow out of that reality. It's a a way to work that brings honor and glory to God. Now, I was, uh, as I was working on this sermon, uh, I was really struggling a bit with the the practical implications of uh, of my sermon today. I, I found myself wanting to provide challenges and action points that would hit the bullseye for each and every person here today. And and, and, and I've tried to highlight some, some certain situations, but I've no doubt missed more than I've mentioned. The reality is we are all uniquely created in the image of God, and so I can't stand up here and tell each of us how we ought to specifically be carrying out our work to God's glory in our life. Right, I, I just can't give you every one of those specific details. But But that being said, we can talk about the general statements in the Bible. We can talk about the general challenges uh, and how that applies to each one of us. We are, we are challenged to do our work in every facet unto the Lord, that we might love God with, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we might love our neighbor as ourself. So really it comes down to each of us asking questions that will bring out those specific application points. So asking questions such as, is my overall work ethic informed by biblical principles? Being eternally focused, diligent, um, honest. Are there specific areas I'm tempted to neglect one or, or more of those things? Um, asking questions like when I, when I perform work throughout my day, is my balance of productivity and relationships one that aligns with God's character and purposes? Are, are there specific areas where I'm, where I'm, I'm 
too focused on physical results to the neglect of relationships with God or relationships with people. Um, When I'm confronted with different opportunities to perform work, am I saying yes and no in ways which honor God and align with how he's created me? Are there things I shouldn't be doing, which I'm doing? Are there things I should be doing, which I'm not doing? You know, again, I I think asking those questions as individuals will lead us to those action points. As we live out our vocation as followers of Jesus, how we work is important. How we work is so important. Paul says it this way a little bit earlier in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 17, he says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, The New Living Translation says, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. How we work is important. It matters. And I think that, that statement especially, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That sums up so well how we should work. That's the general principle. And then we take that and we apply that in the specific areas where we find ourselves. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's, let, let's come to God in prayer. Thankful for the work that he's called us to and the way in which we can display his image through it, but also praying for his guidance as we live that out. Father, again, we're we're thankful that you give us tasks. We're in so many ways like like the, the young child that says, Dad, can I help? And you are the father that, that says yes. And you give us tasks. You give us work to do. And God, would you help us to do that in a way that reflects you? We want people to, to, to look at us and be able to see you through our work. We want what we do to be honoring and, and glorifying and worshipful to you. So help us in the specifics of that. You've, 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 we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. And because of that, we're, we're unique. We're individuals. There's no two of us alike. So would you guide each of us in that, that we might know what that looks like in our life? And God, I know that, that uh, there's risks involved at times with, with living in that way. Would you, would you give us the strength, give us the courage to to live that out even when we're uncertain of how society might respond or, or individual people might respond. We, we want to be honoring to you, so would you help us in that? God, we want all that we do each and every day to be done unto you. We ask this in your name this morning. Amen.